Thruer is a community for long distance hikers for before, during, and after the trail. They welcome new and experienced hikers to ask questions, share experiences, and their knowledge. They have meetups online for open Q&As, casual mingling with the Hiker Happy Hour on Zoom, and they also have Zooms that are focused on certain topics like snow and safety. They have a podcast, closed community on Facebook, and also a YouTube channel. Check them out at thruer.com, T-H-R-U hyphen R dot com. Dan, how are you? Good, good. Um, my daughter just needs, she needs 15 minutes. She just got home. I could hear her digging around for a plastic fork. So I think she has some mozzarella <laughs> sticks she wants to wolf down. She just opened up the Google Doc. So I was kind of telling her, like, don't be scared of you. You know, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's no, but you know what I mean? It's like, it's it's been almost two years. I mean, I've listened to a couple podcasts today. And... Hi. Hello. So you're there. We're just waiting for Doug. Yes. What time do you think you have to jet? Oh, uh, like 940. Because I got to be there for 10. Okay. You only got 10 minutes. <laughs> I know. Welcome to Season 2 of A Long Walk North. Today's episode is brought to you by Triple Crown Coffee, Purple Rain Adventure Skirts, and the Thruer Hiking Community. Hey, Dan here. Before we start, wanted to let you know that my daughter Chantelle will join back into this podcast after I first talked to Doug about how Trevor found his passion and love for the outdoors. We'll let you understand his, you know, the timeline of him starting his PCT journey. If you've listened to this podcast before, you'll know sometimes it's hard to pin down my daughter to record. At the last minute, her mom asked her if she could pick up my son, who was at the movies, right when we were about to record. So that's sort of what you heard off the bat. Okay, we would like to thank Doug for taking the time to come on our podcast. Before we get into our conversation, I just wanted to take some time and talk a little bit about leading up to the last two years with thinking about the possibility of just attempting this hike with my daughter to announcing to everybody that hey we're gonna hike it i've been researching this trail for quite some time you know for the last three years it feels like i'm i'm eager to see the snowpack of what it's going to be like in the sierras you know for me that's where my fear was the fear of my daughter not paying attention to her footing Then there comes the river crossings, you know, due to high rivers, as the snow melts, her stumbling while in the current, falling with her pack on, trying to take the pack off, being swept downstream, much faster than I could ever run after her. Before the Sierras, there's other places that rise in elevation and become steep. Throw in some cold weather because of that elevation, you have snow and ice. 
Heading north from the Mexican border, you walk and walk. On day three to five, depending on your pace, you might hit some snow in Mount Laguna and get your first taste of it. But you're always going to be going forward, looking forward to that burger on trail at Paradise Cafe at the mile marker 151. You know, leaving with that full tummy, whether it's breakfast or a burger, you get up to 4,800 feet. Go eight miles, you're up to 7,000 feet. You know, when you're at mile marker 168, you're going to notice on the Far Out app, formerly Gut Hook, you'll see a little red triangle with an exclamation mark. Click it. You know, under the Spitler Peak Trail. It's going to alert you that noble hikers, you know, starting early, be aware of unsafe trail conditions ahead, especially with that snow and ice. It explains that hikers without proper experience, mountaineering, in snow, you can also take this alternate into Idlewild and skip it, bypass it, this potentially hazardous section. I'll show that in the trail notes. Definitely take a look as you're listening to this. Click on the description. It will open up. I'm going to put links to a whole bunch of things that we talk about and photos and more words if you want a little bit more context on something that we're talking about. When thinking about this trail, I was excited that my daughter Chantelle and myself would have high elevation mountain to go over and San Jacinto would be that first opportunity. Then another one with Mount Baden-Powell after that. I watched YouTube videos of people trying to summit those. 2019, I was following Corey, AKA, uh, you know, second chance hiker on YouTube. And uh, I was watching his videos. And I remember him getting to Apache Peak, which is before Mount Jacinto. It's leaving that Paradise Cafe and going up in that elevation that I talked about. In his episode 32, he was struck with fear crossing this section. He turned around. John King that we'll talk about, uh, who operates the San Jacinto Trail Report, they got together and they actually did a little bit of self-arresting and, and a little bit of an educational video, and I'll link to that. You know, he meets up with Corey and, uh, and they talk about that section. Corey bypasses that section, comes back to hike it later on, it's his 154 day on trail. At that episode, he slips and falls. And I'm not sure exactly where he slips and falls, but he slips and falls. Episode 74 is him having to push the SOS button that he's injured on trail because of his fall and he couldn't make it out on his two feet. He had to get helicoptered out. Episode 75 is about that helicopter evacuation. I'll link to it. I guess what I'm trying to say is this made me more aware of Apache Peak. It's dangers in the snow and ice and the slope. I still remember learning on Twitter that there was a hiker that slipped and fell on Apache Peak and passed away. It was just a couple sentences and I wanted to learn more. A couple days later, Doug wrote an article on the trek and he wanted to outline who Trevor was, you know, uh, give you a name, give you some photos and also the story about his passion for wanting to get on the outdoors so let's get started let's get Doug on the line uh, we're going to learn obviously about Trevor's story his decision to hike the majestic pacific trail Doug's going to describe Trevor's first 11 days on trail yes you heard correctly that Trevor unfortunately only made it 11 days in on his PTC hike before having a terrible accident that cost him his life we'll then segue into his family how they're taking Trevor's determination to help hikers, and more importantly, early season noble PCT hikers, so that they understand the conditions. 
understanding the importance of having the right gear at the right time, and more importantly, understanding your own limitations when trying to decide what is the best route for what's in front of you in whatever challenging weather and the conditions of the trail. Let's get started. Charging down those craggy mountains with our thrift store friends. Who you find so, so in love with the fallen earth? Oh, you wake in the middle of the fallen night with the summer playing coy. Okay, let's get started. Uh, obviously, we have Doug on the line, and welcome to our podcast. Uh, Thank you. We're going to be having Chantel on the line soon. She actually has to go pick up her brother at the movies, so that's always <laughs> the difficulty with booking. I mean, you know, getting that time with her is hard. Usually, she's like, I have midnight to record with you, or but you're a special guest. You're, you're an outsider, so, you know, she had to... <laughs> bend the rules and but it's hard it's it's just it's hard because uh messaging her she doesn't answer daddy back all the time right away so i i know that drill yes so um let's just let's learn a little bit i mean obviously this you know we're going to talk a lot about safety and 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 what happened but Let's just back it up from the beginning. You used to live close to us uh, near Cleveland. Uh, that's what I found out about you, which is not that far away. And and in 2010, when, when Trevor was 12, you know, you, you moved down to Texas. But I want to find out more about how Trevor kind of got hooked on the outdoors or camping or hiking and then a little bit about how, you know, you guys would go out on, you know, father-son hiking and backpacking trips but where did where did that love come from because i don't think of cleveland having mountains well you are correct um cleveland and and ohio in general don't have mountains they have some nice rolling terrain Mm -hmm. the cuyahoga valley national forest is not far from cleveland and and that's a beautiful area but um that was just not anything that trevor was exposed to when we when we lived in Ohio and when we came to uh, Dallas, Dallas, uh, for the lack of a better term, is about as flat as a pancake. <laughs> so any hiking that Trevor would do here or that we would do together would just oftentimes be on paved trails or in park systems where there might be some mountain biking trails that was used by hikers as well. But it was when Trevor was, uh, I believe, 16 years old. He was invited by a high school classmate of his to go on a four-day trip to Yosemite. Wow. And so Trevor and his friend and his friend's father spent three days hiking in Yosemite. And over those three days, Trevor hiked about 50 miles. And that completely changed the trajectory of his life. I bet. And that's Yosemite. And that's just, you know, you're not starting off with something small. That's just majestic right away. Oh, yes, absolutely. And I think that's that's what did it for him was the majesty of the whole thing. 
the the mountains, the wildlife, the geysers, just everything that you can possibly imagine he experienced. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever been out? I have there? not. No, I have not. Me neither. And I describe Trevor's experience in Yosemite as if he had seen the world that was black and white. And when he went to Yosemite, all of a sudden it was bright with vibrant colors. Hmm. And so when he came home, he immediately wanted to start scheduling some hikes with his friends, overnight hikes, backcountry camping hikes. And that, um, ironically enough, he was going to do a brief uh, section hike of the, the Appalachian Trail, just 30, 30 miles, I think. Uh, so I guess you wouldn't even call that a section, but he just wanted to experience it. And so he and, and one another high school classmate had planned on doing it. His his classmate got sick with the flu at the last minute. And so I was the stand in. And, <laughs> and that began our father son backcountry hiking adventures together. I've listened to you on on a couple podcasts. I feel like for podcasts and and in our show notes i'm going to link to all the podcasts if somebody wanted you know a deeper dive and you know there's some podcasts that are very raw with emotion and then there's podcasts like from last year um because obviously you know you're trying to help out the class of 21 but there's you know there's some long podcasts where you can get the deeper dive and it's just nice listening to you just tell stories about how, you know, like this story that you're telling right now in the Smoky Mountains and, you know, couch to AT in 12 days and losing toenails <laughs> and chafing. And, you know, I don't know yeah. how tall you are, but, you, you know, you said that you've lost some weight, right? I mean, we all want to lose some weight, but me and you, we're probably, we're not going to win a race. We, well, I know I wouldn't. Uh, you'll probably finish in front of me. Yeah. I mean, I know that I got to get in shape for this, you know, this, this trip and, and I got, you know, 700 days. So yeah, I'll get, I'll get in shape and all that kind of stuff. But I, like, I just wanted to just say right now is I'm going to put in the, in the show notes, a lot of the links to, you know, uh, articles um, and podcasts and that kind of stuff. But Wonderful. I laughed when, you know, you lost some toenails and you said, you know, get off the couch, uh, and jump on the AT because I mean some people do that on the PCT right like yeah. some people don't train and and when you're you know my daughter's age Trevor's age I mean they're just young whippersnippers where they, they would get in shape by doing it they're just like I said yeah. he went out to Yosemite hiked 50 miles in three days I'm sure he was tired but he was just wiry that he could just do it you know he was so excited yeah and I mean, young, being young uh, covers up a lot of inadequacies. And he was pretty, he was in pretty good shape when he went out to Yosemite. But I remember when he, he called me, I was at work and he called me to tell me that his friend Alfredo, that he was going to uh, go do this hike with in the Smokies had to cancel. Mm. And, uh, he wanted to go by himself. And I said, Trevor, <laughs> you are 18 years old. You've never, you don't have this type of experience. You're not going to go out into the, into the wilderness, into the mountains for three or four days by yourself. It's just not happening. And um, he got upset with me and hung up the phone. <laughs> 30 seconds later, my wife calls me and she said, well, there is a simple solution to this. You could just go with him. 
And I said, Karen, I'm, I'm X number of pounds. I'm out of shape. I, I wouldn't make it. And the one thing that the, the prophetic thing that she said that, that stands with me to this day is she said, if you don't go with him, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. Oh, it's great memories. You know, and that's all she needed to say. And that catapulted my hiking adventures with my son. I tell people Trevor adored hiking. He loved hiking. He was passionate and in love with it. I enjoyed it, but I did not share the same passion that he had. But the one thing that, that count kind of counterbalanced that is that I loved spending time with my son. Absolutely. And, and it didn't matter what we were doing. So if he wanted to spend time with me out in the woods, well, I'll throw on a backpack and off we go. Yeah, you'll go to Cabela's, you'll buy tons of gear that you don't need and tons of food that you'll never eat. But, you know, both of you will be farting in the tents and 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 <laughs> and just joking, you know, and, and that's the that's the good memories. Like that's that's kind of like what I want to do with my daughter, even though she doesn't toot in the tent. She's got to put up with my snoring and all that stuff. So, well, just remember, even women to. fart. They do, just, but you just, what you they just say, don't, you just they, don't know they it. do fart. They just don't know. Yeah, you just don't know it. So, and I don't think she even snores. She's too skinny to snore. But yeah, good. Yeah, you guys went on some trips and stuff like that. I guess because you know, um, obviously, you know, I, I've listened to you on on some podcasts and stuff. So you know, he got really into physical fitness and running and and you know after moving to texas when you know he's kind of like my son you know video games get into school but he took it to another level probably like the learning about video games just probably he was probably excited about computers and how they work and coding and and all that which is awesome yeah and we'll we'll probably touch on this in a bit but um so when we lived in Ohio, Trevor, Trevor was an athlete, but we lived in rural Ohio, relatively rural, a part of Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I say Trevor was an athlete, uh, he did not, I mean, he played sports, but he was not elite because he didn't have to compete with elite players. When right. you move to Texas, it's everything is bigger in Texas. And oh, I've heard he quick he quickly realized that um, sports was not going to be his thing, but academics and computers were, and that's what that's what drove his his passion for computing and writing code and and what led him to be a um, graduate as a as a software engineer from Ohio State and mm-hmm. and subsequently how he got his trail name, but. Yeah, he and I, we we did hikes in uh, in the Smoky Mountains. Uh, one spring break, we went a beautiful, beautiful thirty mile loop in Arkansas in the Washita National Forest called Eagle Rock Loop. Probably one of my favorite places that I've hiked. I just loved it. There is a national park in Texas right along the Mexican border hmm. called uh, Big Bend. And Trevor and I went and did a 30-mile loop hike down in Big Bend on their Outer Rim Loop, uh, which was beautiful. And then, of course, Trevor went to school at Ohio State. And while he was gone, he joined the trekking club at Ohio State and did lots of weekends. I didn't even know there would be such a thing. Like, I, I wouldn't think that a university or a college would have a trekking club, but it's like, 
that is that is so awesome yeah yeah um he didn't talk a lot about it with me but he met some friends and they uh headed up into the far northeast and did some more section hiking of the appalachian trail they did the presidential traverse and then trevor and some of his roommates would often take long weekends and uh and go down to the smoky mountains and hike so it became a mainstay in his life for sure oh absolutely obviously you know you guys are spending some time together which is great he's got this passion for and you know obviously he's in the fitness so i'm sure he could hike at a really good pace uh but then hiking with you i'm sure that it's like my daughter she'll she'll wait up for me she'll she's just happy i'm there do you know what i mean and she'll she'll slow down for me and she'll wait for me and 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 she's you know just excited that that I'm going to be doing this, this hike with her. And I'm sure with, you know, when, when Trevor, you and Trevor were out together, I'm sure it was the same thing. Like he's, he's waiting for you to get up the hill. And, and well, you know, it's interesting that you say that, um, Dan, when Trevor and I first started hiking, he, his mantra was dad, we go at your pace. If you stop, I stop. If you go a mile an hour, I go a mile an hour. <laughs> and we did that for our first couple couple hikes and then might have been burning him inside he might have wanted to like well let the but gas after go a while and, you know, i think trevor's quick. and i think it may have started in big bend trevor trevor's um need for speed so to speak mm. i think finally caught up to him and he finally would just pass me and he said i'm gonna and it would always not it would never happen on flat surface it was always on the big climbs and he would say i'll see you at the top of the mountain yeah. And 45 minutes later, I'd get to the top of the mountain and he'd be taking a nap underneath a tree. Yeah, And, you're and I'd get to the top and he'd say, OK, it's about time. Let's go. And I'd yeah. say, well, now I need my nap. <laughs> exactly. So what was it like when how did he how did he do you know, like, do you know how he heard about the PCT? Like, what was his moment like hearing about this trail and kind of wanting to do this this big trip? I wish I could answer that for you, Dan. I'm not 100% certain. All I, all I remember is during Trevor's junior year in college, uh, one night he phoned his, his, his mother and I, and he said, I've got really good news. He said, <laughs> I've worked my schedule. I've looked it over frontwards and backwards. And I think that if I do this, this, and this, I'll be able to graduate a semester early and graduate in three and a half years instead of four. Sounds like and, a lot of work. Yeah. You know, and of course I was very excited track. about that because I'm very passionate about my career and I wanted him to be just as passionate about his career. I wanted him to get started in his career. I wanted him to start earning a living. I wanted him to be able to start paying back some of his student loans yeah, there was there was a lot of things that I envisioned for him, and and then uh, later in the conversation, or maybe it was a, a, a you know sometime later, he said, "Well, the reason that I'm graduating early is because I want I want to hike the PCT," and I was adamant that that was not a good idea. He and I uh, had a pretty heated disagreement about it. My wife and I, my wife was very supportive of him. I was not, so my wife and I had some disagreement on it. 
was that more about like because sometimes like when I told my dad my dad I mean my dad was like you know my dad was almost 90 so my dad is always like save your pennies what what do you want to go quit your job or go for a walk like he doesn't understand going for a walk for six months save your pennies like when you were didn't really thought oh you really want to do the pct was it more of just like kind of get to work save your pennies it's not a good use of time yeah i mean and it's just a generational thing my expectation was you get a job you graduate you get a job you start building a life um you start saving money doing all the things that that are that i quote unquote deemed responsible Mm-hmm. And 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 start saving money, pension pennies or whatever, just like you said. And but Trevor said something to me and and my wife, and and it just opened my eyes. And he said, "Well, Dad, that might be your idea of what I should do when I graduate, but it's not what I want to do." Now, of course, he uh, he did some internships while he was at Ohio State and made a fair fair amount of money, but he used that and turned around and used that to pay his tuition. Mm-hmm. So he was still very reliant on us financially, and he knew that if he was going to go hike the trail, he was going to, to need our financial support. Mm-hmm. And uh, and of course, a lot of research suggests, on average, about a thousand dollars a month per hiker is what it takes to finish some people spend more some people less but on average about a thousand a month so he was probably looking at needing about four thousand dollars in support from from uh, his mother yeah it's like a little bit more in debt like he got student loans it's like a little bit more in debt yeah like you know let me do this and then i'll i'll work for the rest of my life you know like yeah everyone else does and um, so when he finally said, dad, that's, that's not what I want to do though. That's not how I want to live my life. That was an eye opener for me. And it kind of took the air out of my sails. And so I thought about it and I finally told him, I said, okay, if, if you're going to do this, the only way that I'm going to be able to support it, because you need, you need to keep your academics up. You mm-hmm. need to graduate early so you can't let the foot off the gas pedal at school. I said, the only way that I'll support this is if you let me be your trail manager, so to speak. Right. And and I said, uh, because this helps keep me vested into the process and make sure that we're going to keep you safe, make mm-hmm. sure that uh, that we understand and you understand what's going on. It's nice, be it's nice the- for the parents to understand what this trip is you know like some parents oh. might not do a little dive they do a dive into it but they might not know everything about the trail so it is kind of nice to know to dig deep and and to learn about the logistics and and we always think that our kids are young so you know we can give them advice and you can yeah. look at you know equipment and gear and logistics and all that stuff. Yeah, hundred percent. And that was my way of being involved in the process. And once I got involved in the process, I started doing gear reviews and clothing reviews and ultralight oh, reviews and looking at resupply strategies, all the logistics that you had mentioned. And then I discovered YouTube and I discovered all of these hiking influencers that that basically vlogged their entire PCT through hike on YouTube 
and I started watching them. And boy, I got I got sucked in hook, line, and sinker. It I I all of a sudden went from this skeptic to somebody romanticizing the trail, daydreaming of me being out there hiking it and instead of Trevor. And so I I joke that by the time that he left. I wanted the trail for him as badly as he wanted it for himself. I don't think that that's an accurate statement, but boy, that's what it felt like at the time. I was, I was, I was all in hundred percent, all in fully committed to his, even if he was playing football at at Ohio state, you would be, you know, practicing that you're throwing the football too. Yep. hundred percent. When did he um, get connected with his girlfriend? Did he meet her at school? Like, were they going out for a long time? Yeah. So he met his girlfriend, Elise, at Ohio State, and they became very close. They became very serious. He had actually, I think about after a year of dating, he he came home um, one Christmas break and, um, and Elise uh, didn't come with him for the full stay, but she came down for part of it and we got to meet her and she spent New Year's with us. And Elise became a, a very close member of our family, right? Uh, so Trevor and Elise graduated together. How that was choreographed, I'm not sure, but they graduated at the same time from Ohio State. She had a degree in hospitality management mm-hmm. and she had an internship working in a hospitality uh, company or an organization I think it may have been a restaurant of some sort over in Thailand after she graduated so oh, Trevor wow. went over and stayed with her while she was in Thailand for two weeks and uh, and came back and 10 days later he was he was ready to jump on the trail See, because I was kind of curious if she ever thought of, you know, before she starts a career, if she would be interested in, maybe she wouldn't want to hike all the way up to Crater Lake, but maybe she'd want to do like a little section or that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't know if that was ever discussed or not. I I bet not. Um, Trevor liked to get out, try to get her out and do some some hikes with him whenever possible but mm-hmm. i don't think hiking was in her dna like it was his and so i suspect not but they she was going to so trevor had a job at microsoft out in seattle washington mm-hmm. and he had hoped that he would be able to make it to crater lake by about the fourth of july and because he he microsoft told him that he needed to start working for them i think it was going to be the third week of july and Trevor and Elise had planned on on moving out to Seattle together and and potentially starting a life together out there. Um, obviously, that did not happen. Mm-hmm. But the one of the best blessings of, of our family's life is that we are um, incredibly close with with Elise to this day. Nice. Fact, it's like you have a daughter in law. You you are a hundred. It's almost more like a, a, another daughter. I, yeah, she was exactly. she just she was just at our house this weekend for for the last uh, three or four days visiting us and that's nice yes she she visits us quite frequently she went on vacation with us after Trevor's accident we went to a very remote part of uh, Colorado and stayed in a cabin and did some hiking out there she went with our family and it's nice and the the immediate aftermath of his accident, she actually came and, and lived with us for about three weeks so we could grieve together. I mean, you'll always be connected for life. You know, you guys are a lot, a lot closer and that's, yes. that's awesome. That's, that's nice. 
Yeah. I'm sure she appreciates the relationship just just the same. So Yeah, and she has formed a a relationship with my daughter Olivia. Yes. So Elise is a couple years older than her, but they they have become like sisters. It's nice. And it's just wonderful to see that happen, but um we're just extremely grateful. We just feel that she's part of our family. Going back to the the PCT and you were talking about how you were the trail manager and you had PCT brain and you know you're trying to think of the logistics. So me as a father, when I found out about this trail and I'm like oh I want to do this I want to do this with my daughter I naturally was scared I was scared of this besides me getting up on up and down all the hills with enough breath to talk but I was scared of river crossings and things like Forester Pass you know like the way you see Forester Pass and the little picture it's like this little tightrope that you're probably scared and you're just going inch by inch And to me, I don't know, it looks like 50 feet or something like that. But I was scared um, of my daughter, you know, of my daughter kicking, not paying attention, being tired, kicking a rock, tripping, falling, and just being that helplessness um, or even a river crossing because it feels like she's 80 pounds. She's like, she's super, super skinny. Maybe the water would just go around her. Maybe I'm the one that should be scared of of on like the wall, the wall in the river. When, when you were learning about the trail, you probably weren't even thinking about Apache Peak in Fuller Ridge or even Santa. You were probably worried about the Sierras like me, probably. That's what everyone's scared about. Or it's going to be a big snow year. What's the snow going to be like? Yeah. So uh, all great points. Um, of course, everybody thinks about the Sierra. For, for obvious reasons, if it's a heavy snow year, it's, it's extremely dangerous. By all accounts, the, the snow year in 2020 was, was low and was forecasted to be low. So we were confident. Trevor intentionally chose the March start date. Not that he would have had m- many options in April, but Trevor intentionally chose the March start date because he knew that his, his time on the trail was limited. And so I was fully aware of Fuller Ridge. I was fully aware of Mount San Jacinto. But when I did my research, uh, what was interesting about my research is that Apache Peak, where Trevor's accident took place, had been closed due to a fire closure for the previous six or seven hiking seasons. And I didn't know that. Like, obviously, we talked just briefly. I don't know if that was a week ago, two weeks ago. I learned of that the first time. And one thing I didn't really know, too, and you were mentioning how you were watching some of the, uh, you know, the YouTubers. And in one of the podcasts, you mentioned you watched Corey, the second chance hiker. That was 2019, a year before Trevor went. And you were talking about how you watched, you know, he had a couple videos and, you know, he was legitimately scared. He was. He couldn't, he couldn't cross that. So and I saw that video, too, and I banked it because. Oh, I'm going to show that to my daughter when we get closer, you know, because it is something to worry about. I didn't worry about it too much, but because everyone talks about the Sierras or, you know, San Jacinto, I understand. I, the way I look at San Jacinto or whatever is, is like Mount Whitney. If it's too sketchy, 
Well, you just don't go up. You just go around it. It's not a big deal. People don't, you don't hang your head in shame. It was nice if you can get up it. But if it's too sketchy, you go around it. Um, yeah, great point. And um, the, the, the dangerous thing about San Jacinto is, first of all, inexperienced hikers believe that the Southern California desert is just all flat, hot, same <laughs> yeah and what you don't realize is that much of southern california is the high desert and mount san jacinto is less than 200 miles into the hike and so hikers don't even have their hiker legs they have minimal experience by for for most hikers they get to, to the san jacinto mountain range within two weeks of their start yeah and they don't know what they don't know and all of a sudden, you're you're stuck in this really dangerous situation. And um, I tell people that while the PCT is dangerous, much of it is a designated wilderness by the United States Forest Service. But if you have proper preparation and good risk mitigation strategies, being willing to make the decision, yep, it's time to time to take an alternate or time to turn back around I'm, I'm just simply not doing it that's that's the attitude and the mindset that you have to have that you know it's the we're going to live to fight another day type thing and when when you're willing to do that even if it means at the expense of separating yourself from the trail family that you formed mm-hmm. that's what's going to help keep you alive you have to remember that your obligation your safety your life um, your obligation is to your family and friends back home. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're right. You're totally right. You know, when you talk about, when people think about the, the desert section, you know, even last year, there's incredible heat waves and, and that's another danger too, with just, you know, battling the heat. Um, you know, like Trevor, when he started off, you guys kind of agreed probably that, Hey, Let's uh, do some, you know, maybe do 12, 13 miles. Get, get, you know, get your trail legs. Well, That's exactly goes, it. Yep. Lake Marina, day one, heading off to the 42-mile uh, marker in Mount Laguna, gets into some elevation, and that's your first taste of snow. And yeah, even though it's not scary, like I don't think there's any, like people don't talk about, uh, there's no like peaks and stuff like that. But it's just, it's cold. It's uh it's not fun hiking in snow and it's just, you know, they kind of got kind of hunkered down in, in Mount Laguna. He, he pulled into Mount Laguna. I'm not sure how, but he had now, of course this was on day three. So he had not really even was adopted into a trail family or anything. So he pulled into Mount Laguna by himself. And uh, I knew that, that, that there was bad weather coming in. And I remember he called me. I was at work and he said, dad, dad, I don't, I don't know what to do. I, I'm in this blizzard snowstorm and <sighs> the Mount Laguna Inn is closed. And I said, well, they have a, a like a, what the best I could describe it is like a, a small neighborhood of tiny yeah, a little tiny village. Yeah. A little tiny village. And, and they're all rentable through Airbnb. And I said, let me see if I can't get you one. Long story short, he called me back about five minutes later and he said, never mind, the, the inn is open and there's a bunch of people inside. I was just on the wrong side of the building. 
Um, and so he got together with some hikers and they, they stayed in a tiny house that night to, to get out of the snow. But yeah, that was his first taste of inclement, inclement weather. And you are right. Uh, it is no fun hiking in cold, wet snow. And the next day, they, their hiking group decided, you know what, we probably should stay another night. And when they called up the owner or Airbnb or whatever to extend their reservation, they said, sorry, there's another yeah. reservation already for tonight. Oh, yeah. It's so, booked by the, the bubble that's right behind you because you got it for the bubble that's right behind they wanna, you. So. They're hearing about all this weather. Yep. And another thing, too, is like everyone talks about shaving weight and bring like one pair of underwear, two pairs of underwear. But, you know, sometimes people aren't used to the cold and sometimes the sleepless nights because you're so cold because you don't have enough warm clothes because you think that the desert's going to be a little yeah. bit warmer. And by leaving early, early March or that, you're there's some cool nights and that can affect your sleep and. Yeah, it just kind of make it a little miserable, but it's just hard. Yeah, so so the group that he was with kind of trudged out into the snow. Yeah, and I think probably hiked about twelve or fourteen miles uh, out of Mount Laguna. Uh, and then eventually night, you get to lower elevation, you know, so it gets it warms up in that. It does. It you get the high, you get does. the high miles again that he's hiking. Yeah, and then finding finding a place uh, to camp that night was a bit of a challenge, as I recall, and it was kind of cold and damp. But he he had a really good, uh, well insulated air mattress as well as uh, uh, sleeping like bag. So yeah. so he was he was in pretty good shape uh, for the inclement weather. And then they get back down to the desert floor, and then they they start pounding out big mile days up to the day of the accident. Another thing what was going on, obviously, with 2020 is the world is learning about, you know, the coronavirus, it's spreading and all over the world, you know, countries are closing down or people are saying just stay indoors, don't go out if you don't need to and that. And obviously, there was a little bit of that. And that was hard to deal with because, you know, obviously, from listening to some of the podcasts and stuff, you know, just you being the, you know, the dad and same with my daughter here, you know, my daughter doesn't think about coronavirus, you know, like she still wants to go hang out with her friends and yeah. she works at Dairy Queen and you're just around people. They don't, they have no fear, but you just don't know. Like, I don't want her to catch it. I don't want things to go south just to go horribly wrong just because she gets coronavirus. But I mean, there's you, you know, you're, you want him to get off the trail because of that and you know you guys had some dicey days where you're just you want him to get off the trail but you know yeah that i get it he doesn't want to get off the trail yeah dan that was probably that's the hard part that it was it was incredibly difficult so my parents live in phoenix phoenix is about a five-hour drive give or take Mm -hmm. to to campo where the southern terminus is and so Trevor and myself and and his sister, Olivia, we flew out to see my parents. We spent a few days out there with them. Olivia and I were going to fly back to to Dallas, and then my parents were going to drive him to the terminus. Mm -hmm. And when we flew out to Phoenix, and when we left Dallas, the world was talking about COVID. When we landed in Phoenix, (laughs) the world had changed. The stock market had crashed. Mm-hmm. Um, 
NBA games were getting canceled because players were yeah. contracted the virus. The world had changed just in the few hours that I was on an airplane. And two days before Trevor was supposed to leave, I said, Trevor, I, I'm just not feeling that this is a very good thing for you to do. And he said, Dad, I'm too close to the to the southern terminus. I could spit on it from here. I'm not I'm not turning around. No, absolutely not. And I can understand like hikers feeling like, oh, if I'm on the trail, I'm not really around anybody. Sure, yeah. I guess going into town, maybe you put some people at risk or they put you at risk. Um and, and even though those towns they, they love PCT money, you know, people resupplying and that. And, and there is good people in, in those towns that were always welcoming anybody that needed help. But um we don't even have to go into all that stuff. But sure, there's a lot of people on one side of the fence that hated everyone being on trail. And then you have other people that felt like, hey, I'm I'm doing this thing. I've been thinking about it for two years and I'm really walking by myself on a path. So well, the risk is really low. It had become, COVID had become so politicized it, just early on. As you said, there was a, a segment of the hiking population that said, I'm canceling my start date. I'm canceling my trip this year. I'm being responsible. All hikers should get off. Mm-hmm. And then there were others who said, I'm in the middle of the wilderness. I'm out here by myself or you know, hiking 30, 40, 50 feet away from, from other people in my group. Um, this is the safest place that I can possibly be. Now, I work in the healthcare industry, so I felt like I was being responsible by telling Trevor, we don't know what this is. It could be lethal. It could be deadly. It might not be, but we don't know. It's best if you just come home. And he he was 2000 miles away. I wasn't going to drop in with a helicopter and pull him off trail. I, I couldn't. And he just said, dad, if I lose the PCT now, I'll lose it forever. Right. He said, I'm not coming home. And so we went back and forth, back and forth for a few days until finally I realized that I am not getting this kid off the trail. And while I don't agree with his decision-making, we'll deal with that when he comes home. But for now, I just got to find a way to help keep him safe. Longer food carries, less time in towns. He was going to spend more time out in the middle of nowhere, out in the wilderness, because this was his this was his decision now. Okay, so one thing I wanted to talk about is, you know, it was early on in the trail. You know, he did have some some hiking hiking buddies. Uh, was it Leo, Cody, and Yannick? Yannick was from Yannick. Germany. Yep. Cody you got them all right. Australia and Leo from Milwaukee. I guess I just wanted to just talk about how, you know, some of those are like international hikers. And we, when we were just talking about COVID, you know, there was no place for these guys to go. Like if they were going to get off trail, they'd have to get on a plane and, and go home. All the all the women and men on the trail, they don't want to stop. They want to keep going because they've been thinking about it for a year, or two years, or three. I'm sure there was a little bit of peer pressure to like, you know, we're all in this as a group. And even though we're going through snow and going to keep going because we have this common goal. That is a, it's, you're a hundred percent correct. Yannick and Cody were, were two international hikers. And if I recall correctly, I think that they had shut down routes between the U S and Germany as well as, as Australia. So admittedly, they, those two had nowhere to go. 
So there was no incentive for them to get off trail because what were they going to do? Uh, stay in a hundred dollar a night hotel for the next three <laughs> months or whatever. Yeah. And I had for a glimmer, for a glimmer of moment, I, Trevor had agreed to come off trail. And I said, um, your grandparents are going to pick you up in uh, Julian. Yeah. So I said, Trevor, this, we've got to make this happen and we've got to do it now, now, now. He agreed that he would get picked up at Scissors Crossing. And I said, they will be there. I think we, we talked later that afternoon and I said, they'll be there tomorrow at noon. Just be there and we're, get, we're getting you off. And, and an hour later, he called me and he said, I, I'm not going anywhere, Dad. I'm staying on. And I think it's because they started all having conversations and they started all started rationalizing about what their options were. And Yodi, uh, Yannick and Cody and where would they go if they got off and, and all these different things. And, and Leo, I think, was was leaning in that direction. And it just so happened that they, they got into Warner Springs, which is right around mile 100, yeah. 101, I think. And Leo had, I think, twisted his knee coming yeah, down. Yeah, he was kind of banged up, so he was going to take some zeros. Yeah, and he, he was trying to talk Trevor into taking a couple of zeros with him so he could heal up. And Trevor said, I got to go. I'm, <laughs> my time on the trail is limited. I'm, I'm moving on because I feel great. My body's in great shape. Uh, long story short, Leo g- took a couple of zeros and was watching the news because that's all that the news, w- the television yeah. was talking about 24 hours a day was COVID. And he finally said, you know, I'm pulling the plug. So, so Leo got off, but Yannick and Trevor and Cody continued to head north. Yes. And I think we have a special guest on the line. I think we have my daughter. Young money. Hi. Hello. I can hear hear some typing. And I'm like, I don't think that's Doug sending texts to people. That's my daughter. (laughs) Sending texts to her friends of like, hey, don't bug me. I have to do this thing for my dad and talk to some guy in Texas. Yes. Yes. Well, it's a pleasure. <laughs> to to catch you up, Chantel. I mean, we just we talked about obviously uh, Trevor went to Yosemite. Just wanted to pause it because my daughter is now on the podcast. She made it home. She had to pick up my son who was at the movies, and I noticed she was on the podcast for about five minutes before uh, there was sort of a break, and I could sort of welcome her on the podcast. Um, I wanted to give her a really quick summary of where we are in the podcast giving her a little summary of you know how trevor falls in love with hiking and the outdoors he wants to do the pct he's now doing the pct so i just wanted to get her up to speed of where they are on the map so she kind of knows where they are along in the story so let's continue kind of at that hundred mile marker getting up to mile marker 150 where there's that paradise cafe where we all want that big juicy cheeseburger <laughs> he was probably excited about it because i know he got there in the morning did he have breakfast did he have the burger do you know so i told him that when he stops there he's got to get the burger and and <laughs> let me live vicariously through him uh trevor got there for breakfast and instead of getting the burger trevor got the sausage burrito instead 
I heard that's excellent too. I if we yeah. get there for breakfast, we're gonna stay for lunch too because <laughs> Chantel yes. will want to charge all her stuff and text everybody. Yeah. So Trevor, uh, they had breakfast at Paradise Valley Cafe, very very famous stop along the early section of the PCT for hikers. Probably I would huge percent stop there. Um, they had breakfast. They started heading north by. Sometime mid afternoon, I got a I got a text from Trevor that said, if I recall correctly, back in the snow, sixty nine hundred feet, mm. and uh, about seven o'clock that evening, Trevor uh, cell reception. Trevor has Verizon as his carrier. Cell reception in the desert, for the most part, for Verizon customers, is pretty good, and he called us that night. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm in my tent. I said, how are you feeling? And he said, my body's, my body's fine. I'm just I'm sure exhausted. he was a little dog tired because it's elevation and the snow. Yeah. He said, uh, there's a little snow on the ground. He said, I'm just exhausted. We've gone eight straight days of 20 miles or more. And he said, I can't wait to get into Idlewild tomorrow. We're going to take two zeros um, we've already got reservations, and uh, I just look forward to sleeping in a bed and getting a shower. And I, I think he had mentioned that he was looking forward to getting a pizza. Mm. And we talked for a little bit. We didn't say a whole lot, but I vividly remember that he just sounded really tired, really exhausted. And uh, and I said, okay, well, 14 more miles, you'll be there plenty of time i said just get to the post office by five uh it would have been a friday the post office closes at five and i said because if you miss it miss it by five i I, they're they're not open on the weekend so you're gonna have to wait till monday before you can get your resupply your ice axe and your your micro spikes and i said uh just give us a call tomorrow let us know that you made there safely love you love you and and off he went. Uh, we hung up. We said our goodbyes. You had mentioned something that triggered a, a thought in my brain. And I use this analogy with people. When we talk about safety or dangers on the Pacific Crest Trail, Trevor looked at it and he said, oh, well, only, you know, in the history of the PCT, you know, 12 people have ever died or something like that. Some ridiculously no low statistic. Mm-hmm. And I tell people that, you know, getting hit in a head-on collision on the freeway by a wrong way driver is, is an incredibly low statistic. But if you're sitting at home, I live in Dallas. It's a huge metropolitan area. If you hear something like that on the news, you say, oh, my gosh, how terrible, how tragic, how bad you must feel for the for the family. Maybe you you think about it for a second or two and then you go on with your day and you don't even think about it and you just hope that it never happens to you. And I'm here to tell you that bad things happen to good people because that that head on collision by a wrong way driver. That was this incredibly low statistic, metaphorically speaking, happened to Trevor on the PCT. And so 
that story that you hear on the news, there's, there's a family, there's a spouse that's left behind, there's children that are left behind, there's brothers and sisters that are left behind. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, this is our story. It happens. I'm just, I'm telling you it happens. So, um, I kind of went down a bit of a rabbit hole there, but Trevor got up the next morning and there was some freshly fallen snow from the night before on his tent, nothing significant, couple inches. And they got all packed up and they started heading North and they got to Spitler peak trailhead. Yeah. which is the last bailout point between Apache Peak and Idlewild. Or excuse me, prior to Apache Peak and Idlewild. But the sign that alerted hikers to that bailout point and the dangers ahead had been burnt down several years prior uh, due to forest fires. So there was no notification and they just kept on hiking. And they got to Apache Peak mile marker 169 and a half roughly and they came to a very 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 sketchy section of trail you think if you think about this um the pct cuts into the northeast facing side of apache peak yes so it's the northeast facing side the northeast facing side of that mountain gets very little sun in the winter what little sun it does get, the trail is shaded by the trees. And the so whether the temperature gets warm enough or the sun penetrates it, any snow melt that you get during the day thaws and then refreezes at night. And the trail is actually cut into the side of the mountain. So it might be three, four feet wide at the widest section. And then if you look down to your right, there's it's a 30 degree incline and there's nothing but death and destruction if you slip and trevor could not see the ice because of the snow that had fallen the night before yannick was leading the group they were they were hiking single file trevor was in the middle cody was in the back yannick they i think i'm gonna they, it was all sketchy i've seen photos of the accident site i'm not sure what they were thinking none of them had any extensive snow experience they didn't have the right traction devices on their feet they didn't Did have any this... of them have traction like cody or yannick no no uh cody had never even seen snow before let alone hike in it Yannick had had, um, had had seen snow, but I don't think it hiked in it. Well, living in Germany, there is some mountains really close yeah. by, you know. And Trevor, living in, in Ohio, he saw snow all the time, but, but didn't hike in it. And certainly didn't have any mountains to hike in it. And Trevor lost his footing, stabilized himself for a second, and then slipped again and started sliding um, feet first, belly down, sliding down the mountain. And it, because it's just nothing but snow, you just pick up speed and more speed and more speed. And Cody and Yannick said that they, they were able to follow him sliding down the mountain for about 300 feet or a hundred meters. And they said the first boulder 
that Trevor hit kind of started to careen him out of control and he started cartwheeling mm. and, and then he, he disappeared from sight. They tried yelling out his name um, without response. They had Trevor's phone number. They tried calling him with no response. And after a few minutes, they, um, they activated their emergency beacons and called for search and rescue. Now, you have to imagine you're in this incredibly sketchy section of trail and you just saw your hiking partner slide out of control down an ice chute. You'd be frozen. You wouldn't want to take one step forward and you probably wouldn't want to take one step backwards. And you, you are exactly right. So one of them had some paracord, I think in their backpack Mm. and they, they took it off and they tied themselves to the closest tree. The other one, I think had a knife and had to cut some paracord off of their backpack and tied themselves to the closest tree, but they were, Cody and Yannick were well over a hundred feet away from each other. It was cold. There was snow, I think might've still been falling. And when search and rescue got there, the wind gusts off Apache peak were way too, too significant for them to be able to hoist anybody down on a cable. Yeah. I was reading that. And obviously I think there was two helicopters. I think there was 24 people uh, that went out on that search one helicopter was trying to help the two, the two, the two guys, you know, obviously at the top, and then the helicopter, you know, trying to go down and, and lower, um, you know, a medic and that. It, it just, I heard like the winds were just really awful. Yeah, the I heard. I have no reason to disbelieve this, but I heard that the that had it not been some for some really adept uh, piloting by the helicopter pilot. There were a couple of occasions where the wind gust almost blew the, the chopper into the side of the mountain. Yes. It was that bad. Yeah. Um, so long story short, the, the chopper identified Trevor's location, I think pinged his location, but they had to, to fly about five or six miles away before they were able to drop the medic uh, down onto the ground. They, I don't know if they hoisted him down or just landed and he got out, but the medic hiked almost six miles, five or six miles to Trevor. And by the time they got to him, um, he was already deceased. Mm-hmm. And um, they, they, they couldn't find him at first. And, and they, they sadly, what put them on, on his, you know, on his trail, so to speak, is that, they they started to find some smattering of blood stains in the in the snow that that ultimately led them to him. But um, so later, so this all happened at about eleven thirty in the morning Dallas time. At little after lunch, I was I was not feeling so well. Um, and maybe I don't know. Maybe it's karma's way of letting me know something wasn't right. I, I don't, I, I kind of felt, well, gosh, maybe I have COVID. So I shut my computer down a little bit early and I went and I laid down on the couch. I just did not feel well. And I, I don't know, I was asleep for maybe an hour or so. And I got a, a text from a dear friend of mine who was supposed to hike the PCT that year. 
his start date was going to be sometime, I think, mid-April. Right. He he said, you hear the news, there was a death on the PCT today. And I said, oh, my gosh. Then he sent me a, a link to a news article in the, the Desert Sun paper for Palm Springs, Desert Springs. And it said that a hiker had fallen down an ice chute in Mountain Center. Well, Mountain Center is where Paradise Valley Cafe is. Trevor is now 20 miles north of that area. Sure. So, so while I was, you know, saddened by the fact that, that there was a death on the trail, I was nearly certain that it wasn't Trevor for a couple of reasons. Number one, he, he was 20 miles north of that location. Number two, he had his wallet with him. And if it was him, I would have been certain that I would have been called now by, by the sheriff or law enforcement or search and rescue right. or whatever. And I had not been called. So um, what was interesting, my wife works night shift at the hospital as a nurse. And she was getting ready for work. And there was a part of me that was going to say something to her. And then I'm like, this is not Trevor. Uh, I would know by now. I'm certain that it's not Trevor. I'm not going to say anything to her. So my wife left for work. My my daughter was at her boyfriend's house, and it was just me here in the house by myself. And, you know, 3 o'clock turned to 4 o'clock, turned to, you know, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock. Because he should and be getting into Idlewild, you know? Exactly. Like he sh- well, he needed to get to the post office by 5. Doing 14 miles for him, he would have been – he would have been been there by two o'clock, three o'clock at the latest. And um, so I started to get worried. And every time I called him, it just went straight to his voicemail. And so uh, by about eight o'clock, I called the uh, fire and rescue unit that was highlighted in the newspaper article yeah i guess that's the riverside mount rescue unit well so it, it was something fire and rest something yeah uh fire and rescue so i tried calling the fire and rescue and there was no answer there i tried calling somebody in Idlewild. i don't i don't recall who i tried calling they recommended that i call the riverside uh sheriff which i did the riverside county sheriff said well how did you how do you know about this accident i said well i i read about it um i read about it in the newspaper and uh you'll have to apologize my dog is excited about something (laughs) (laughs) and uh the river the the sheriff said well how do you know there's an accident and i said well i read about it in the newspaper and um my son is in that area i just want to make sure that it's not him I'm just a little worried. And he said, well, we don't have a whole lot of information right now. Uh, My recommendation, if you want to rule him out, would be to call the coroner. So I called the coroner and they they said, well, can you describe your son to me? So I described his characteristics, brown hair, brown eyes, 6'3", 190, athletic build. I described the clothes that he was wearing. And, uh, and they, they, I would, I don't want to say they played it off like it was nothing, but I got no sense whatsoever 
and that conversation that the person that they had was Trevor, none whatsoever. And they said, well, if you could just send us a photo of him, we'll use that to rule him out. And then you can get back to your evening. And I said, great. So I sent him a photo, the coroner, a photo of, um, of Trevor that was taken a couple days before he left for the PCT. And he was in all of his hiking gear that he, that he was wearing. And about an hour later, the coroner called back and they said, Mr. Lara, I've, I've got unfortunate yeah. news. I, I believe that the hiker that we have is your son. And I don't even remember what happened after that. Um, I, I did not cry. I didn't scream. I, I think that I went into shock and I immediately said, okay, well, how, do, how am I going to tell my wife this? How am I going to tell Karen this? How am I, I going to, commu- yeah, how am I going to communicate this to Olivia? I called Karen at work. I never called her at work. And I said, Karen, you, you need to come home right now. And of she, she knew something bad had happened. Absolutely. You don't, you know, anytime someone, you know, you ever get a phone call like that. Yep. You know, it's not a good phone call. Yeah. And admittedly, after after the fact, she said, I thought you were telling me, calling to tell me something had happened to my dad or her dad. Right. Um, That's so, the way it should be. You know, like, you know, your your kids aren't supposed to pass away. It's the grandfathers that pass away when they're 90. And you know what I mean? Everyone's supposed to live till they're 90 or, yeah. or, or die trying at 80. And so she, she fell to the floor in the middle of the nursing unit at the hospital. One of her coworkers drove her home. I had to, I had to call my daughter and tell her to come home. And she started driving home and she, she finally pulled over the side of the road. She said, I'm not driving another, uh, another mile until you tell me what's going on. So I told her and it, I, that, that evening, I did not even, I don't even recall experiencing any emotion. I didn't cry. I didn't scream. I just, I felt like a zombie. And, um, so the coroner said, we think we have Trevor, but we can't be certain. We can't be certain until we get, um, confirmation from his fingerprints do you know if he ever had his fingerprints taken and i said well he's never been arrested i i don't (laughs) know if he's ever had his fingerprints taken they said well we're running his fingerprints if not we may need you to get his dental records and uh and i said okay well how about I, i i hop on a plane and i'll be out there first thing in the morning and i can identify and identify the body in person they said that's not how it works okay we we need to take these other steps and so about every hour hour and a half later into the evening the coroner would call and say we haven't heard anything yet we haven't heard anything yet we haven't heard anything yet and i said well can you just take a picture take a photo and send it to me and they said no we're, we're not permitted to do that um you know, of course, if it wasn't Trevor, would I share the photo? Would I put it online? Whatever. Yeah. And um, 
So about one o'clock in the morning, the coroner calls me back and they said, um, do you have an iPhone by chance? And I said, yes. And they said, if you would be willing, we would be willing to FaceTime with you. So we did a FaceTime and they showed us a, a video of the person that they had and, and it was Trevor. Mm. And, um, it's just the most horrific, horrifying thing that you could ever imagine in your life. I've read medical and scientific studies that have said that there's not a single thing on the planet that is more traumatic than, than losing a child. Yes. And I believe it. I believe it. Um, and so in the aftermath of his accident, the news had got out about, about the accident. Uh, Elise Trevor's girlfriend had, had posted something on Reddit. And, um, and so, so news had gotten out about Trevor and, and who was the name were... behind the, the accident type of thing? Well, um, Elise said it was my boyfriend, but I don't believe she put Trevor's name. Okay, but, but at least were, it's there... getting, yeah, it's getting yeah. more the people behind the person that had the accident. Yeah. Because I'm, I was reading it on Twitter, and, you know, you only see three sentences, you know. You don't know anything about the person. And this was March 27th, and... April 1st comes, I have a feed reader, so I get a notification, I follow the trek, and, you know, there's the article that you wrote, you know, because you wanted to, you wanted people to know the name, not just the three sentences of, you yes. know, he's he's the 13th person or the 12th person, and it's just an asterisk, and you did an excellent job, and that just floored me, you know, and I... You know, when I, I, I just gravitated to it and I just and then in June, you did the podcast on the trek. And that was obviously I guess I think that was your first podcast. It was. And that's really raw. And, you you know, you read it. And then they also interviewed a little bit of the Riverside Mountain Rescue Unit and, and talking about a little bit what they do because they're volunteers. And, you know, you also wanted to raise awareness and fundraising because, fundraising for them it just helps them out so much so you know why don't you talk a little bit a little bit about the riverside mountain rescue unit obviously you raised some money um and you also you know you also got in touch with cameron and eric and they helped you after well that was they helped you right afterwards about you know recovering some some of the articles yeah, um, Riverside Mountain Rescue Unit is a volunteer group of men and women. They're they're angels who who pretend to be humans on this earth. I, I there's just no other way to describe it. They're heroes, and these are people who volunteer to save others. These are people who volunteer to be, you know, pulled out of bed at two o'clock in the morning to get who who agree, you know, make arrangements with their employer that at one one thirty in the afternoon, if I get a call, I got to leave. 
they do training exercises and they go through certifications um, and it's all volunteer and it's a 501c3 charitable organization and most I believe of their funding comes through contributions and so following the accident uh, Elise, her birthday, I think maybe in April, she did one of those Facebook, hey, on my birthday, I'd like to raise, oh, yeah, money. raise money for this charity. I think she raised three or $4,000. Then um, we did something ourselves. Um, the article that I wrote and then the obituary and the, and the local newspaper, both here and back in Ohio where we lived, you know, in lieu of flowers or anything like that, please make a donation to the, to the RMRU. In total, I think between Elise and my family and others who donated money, we raised about $15,000 for the RMRU. What, what's, what I am most grateful for is that if Trevor was hiking by himself, and he was a confident hiker. He could have just as easily been hiking by himself as he would with others. And if he would have been hiking by himself and that happened, he would he would still be out in Southern California and we'd still be looking for him. So the fact that the RMRU brought him home to us um, means more to me than anybody can ever know. Yes. Uh, Cameron and Eric were two of the lead rescuers that day. And when they sent Trevor's backpack and all of his belongings to us from the, the funeral home, ultimately sent all that stuff back to us. There were several pieces of his hiking gear that were missing. Um, his GPS watch was missing. His uh, one of his shoes was missing. Um, his trekking poles were missing lots of things, pretty much anything that was on the outside of his pack was missing. And Eric and Cameron, uh, I believe on father's day, hiked back up to the accident scene, hiked from the PCT at Apache peak all the way down 600 feet, going back and forth in a zigzag pattern across the, the, the mountainside down that, that chute down to the point to where Trevor was recovered and then back up. And I think they found everything with the exception of his shoe and his watch. They found gloves. They found his hat. They found his trekking poles. They found everything and they sent them, sent them back to me, uh, sent them back to our family. So the RMRU, they will never be able to repay them. And whatever amount of money that we were able to generate on their behalf is is just a pittance of what they deserve. Yes, and 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 any money that they get, it's always well needed, you know. Because I remember hearing that, you know, I think they got like a stretcher, not a stretcher, but yeah, like a, a rescue basket. I think rescue is what, basket. A rescue that's probably sled. the thing that's on the yeah. helicopter that they lower down. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. Before we move into the next segment, I just wanted to remind you to check out the show notes. I'm going to add some photos, 
of Apache Peak as well as maps of the area showing you also the side trails if you need to bail out in that section. I'll provide links to valuable resources to check out. Links to Doug's article that was posted a couple days after the accident on the trek called Trevor's Eternal Trail. I'll also link to Doug's first podcast a couple months after the accident. That was on Backpacker Radio. The second half of that, they interview Riverside Mountain Rescue Unit. So I'm going to provide also the link to donate to them if you wish to help them out. I'll also go through the podcast. So things that we talk about, I'll also provide links or even some more words to give you some more context. You can find the show notes in the description of this podcast. It's on our website, hikethepct.ca. If you just go to the menu, just go to the podcast. It's episode 9. Let's get back to it, and here's the last segment. Okay, um, I just want to hear more about how you're doing as well as your family with it coming up to being two years after the accident. How are you guys taking that? Boy, that is a difficult question to answer. Um, This time last year, the emotions were still very, very raw. Mm-hmm. My, I, my wife and I don't talk a lot about about the tragedy because in grief like this, I I grieve in a, in different ways and on different days at different times than my wife does. Mm-hmm. And if I'm having a moment at eight o'clock in the evening, maybe she just came off of a moment at six o'clock and she's she's recovered and doing a little bit better now i don't want to i don't want to pull her back in and the same thing goes for her so we we typically did not talk a lot and and we don't we talk about him in positive happy memories and we talk about the things that we want to do to honor him but we don't talk much about the grieving this mm-hmm. time last year, I was, I, I was still crying every single day, um, and it didn't. Things for me did not start getting until we started <clears throat> as a family starting to be hiker safety advocates, and we did our Trevor Spike program, which we can talk a little bit more about. Mm-hmm. and the greatest gift that Trevor ever gave me didn't come until after his passing he has given me purpose in life and my purpose in life is to help other hikers um, so this year I'm hoping that because more time has passed and I've had an opportunity to be more fully embraced embraceive of of my new purpose that it's still going to be a very somber day. So last week was Trevor's birthday and another two weeks, it will have been the, the anniversary of his start date. And then obviously 11 days after that is the, the anniversary of his accident. So this time of year in general is just a really um, bad time for our family we we grieve the best that we can we still grieve every day we are going to fly to ohio 
on the anniversary of his of his passing, just like we did last year, to surround ourselves with friends and family. And um, but but it is still rough. People who say that it gets easier, it it does not get easier. You just find a way to to carry the grief and live with it. But mm-hmm. but it never gets easier. But I, I I'm very very grateful that you asked that question because it it is every single day i pray to him every single night every day i have conversations with him i don't cry every day anymore but i i cry multiple times per week it just trevor was was my hero and i tell people that he was my gift to the world just like my daughter is they are our, they are our gifts to the world and he was changing the world and was going to change the world. And I tell people he was going to change the world by writing a software, computer software program. And you're supposed to lose your children. No. Mm-hmm. Also, too, is, you know, obviously there's these anniversaries of anniversary of him starting. And, and, and then also with how you are sort of, you, know, you have this passion of trying to help this year or every year's PCT class, his start date is happening with a bunch of new hikers start dates, right? So in February, just like we are right now, um, you know, we'll get this podcast out and, you know, if it helps, it's going to help people, you know, but if it helps one person, it, it's a good thing. The other things that you've done, they've helped people, you know it. Um, from the feedback that you've gotten. Um, But that's the one thing is when you have these milestones about Trevor, you also have this passion too, because you're going to be connected to the PCT forever. That is correct. And, um, you know, you have this passion to advocate different safety measures and have people think about things a little bit more than, than just maybe the normal, the normal amount that they think about things. Yeah, it uh, it's it's in my DNA now. There is not a day goes by that that I don't think of the PCT. That I don't think of how I how I can something new. How I can help hikers. I just for me, it's about hiker safety, advocacy, education. And now at the Trevor Spikes program that our family launched in collaboration with Fowler O'Sullivan Foundation and Nomad Venture, it just, um, this is the legacy that I want to leave for Trevor. We can't have his death be in vain. Something good has to come of it. And if we're able to change the mindsets of the Chantels of the world or other <laughs> or other 20-something-year-old hikers who are in the the shape of their life, who are in the prime of their life, who their confidence is at the highest that it's ever been. If, if I can just make you pause for an hour in your preparation for the PCT to stop and think about safety and what you can do to create a safer environment and, and a proper mindset that you can get yourself into from a risk mitigation standpoint, then I've done my job. And I bank stuff. I bank stuff in my Evernote. 
self-arrest videos um, and different things. And that's, you know, we live in Ontario and, and we have like little mountains or whatever, little ski mountains. But that's something that I want to do is I'd love to see if there is a course where I live that we could go and play with some ice axes and stuff. Maybe there's a, a course like a, a winter course to learn about self-arresting and even to, to practice on, on hills that if we slipped and fell, nothing's going to happen to us, but just practicing with our crampons, practicing to know that if you did slip and fall from this, even from Trevor's accident, you know, I knew that we were going to have ice axes early. You know, we were going to go the micro spike route. I'm going to go with the hiking crampon with the, with the good teeth. But we're also going to carry micro spike where the places that are slippery, but not dangerous if we fall. Just we want traction. You know, for the Apache peaks or for the real, you know, the real crazy stuff. I want the real crampons. But then I also want to learn that if we fall... And we're self-arresting, you know, that we we lift up our feet and stuff so that the crampons don't get yeah. caught and we go ass over kettle. What happened to Trevor, we are going to benefit from it because we are going to carry that stuff. We are going to connect with people that, you know, after we do Apache Peak and after we do Mount Jacinto and then Mount Baden-Powell, yeah, maybe we don't need that stuff we'll find a friend that we can mail our stuff to and they'll mail it back to us for Kennedy Meadows. So, you know, you brought up about the Trevor Spike. So go into more detail about how that works. Yeah. So the Trevor Spikes program originated in a sidebar conversation following my backpacker radio podcast. So after the podcast was over, Zach Badger Davis and Chance and I all kind of just stayed on the phone and talked. And I said, we have got to find a way. I've got to find a way to make sure that, that people are aware of the dangers of Apache Peak and how important they need it is to have uh, micro spikes. And so I started talking about the idea of maybe getting donations of gently used micro spikes, putting them in a hiker box at Paradise Valley Cafe. They could pick them up free of charge there. They could kind of use them as a loaner program, use them, take them into Idlewild, and then maybe drop them off at the gear shop or the pizza shop or a hotel. And a trail angel could then take them back to Paradise Valley Cafe, and it would just be kind of this circular yeah. rotation. And so logistically, I, I just didn't feel that that was a great idea. So I, I was having regular um, phone conversations with the executive director of the Fowler O'Sullivan Foundation, which is a foundation started in memory of missing PCT hikers, uh, David O'Sullivan and, and Chris Fowler. Mm-hmm. And we kind of just started talking through what a micro spike program might look like. And so I reached out to Nomad Ventures, which is a, which is a gear outfitter in Idlewild. And we had a conference call and I just said, if my family and Fowler O'Sullivan funded a discount, so you sold them at full price or you sold them at 20% off and the difference between what you sold it at and full retail price we will pay you the difference. 
could you find somebody, could you find a trail angel who lives in Idlewild who could drive those purchased micro spikes down to Paradise Valley Cafe? So the hikers have their safety when they need it, where they need it. Yes. And Julie, who is the uh, manager at Nomad Ventures, says, well, I'll do you one better. I live across the street from Paradise Valley Cafe. I'll just (laughs) drop them off myself. And so that's how the Trevor Spikes program was born. And it was launched last year, right? Last It launched last year. The good news is we sold about 50 sets. And we're doing the same program this year. We started marketing the program much earlier. Instead of, you know, middle of March, we started uh, marketing this the middle of January. And we're about a month in. And our goal is just to offer 20% discounts off of these micro spikes for 100 PCT Nobo through hikers. Yeah. And, and, and get it delivered at Paradise Cafe because that's, that's when you need it. And you're just yep. about to head up in the elevation. No, no need to carry that extra weight through you across the desert floor. Safety where you need it, when you need it. I think that's a great, that's a great thing. Mm-hmm. So um, just tell us about Trevor's 100 day trek on Facebook and also the outpouring of support from the hiking community. What has that brought to your family? Um, at Trevor's celebration of life, his best friend Chandler got up and said something uh, at his celebration of life. And I, I, I'm paraphrasing here, and I, I, I w- I'm not doing his speech justice. But he said, if you have never hiked a, a trail that is not paved, if you've never been out in the wilderness, if you've never spent the night in the wilderness in a tent, He said, I would implore you to consider doing so. It changed Trevor's life. Mm. And, and I would encourage you to do the same. And, and, and that speech that Chandler gave really resonated with me, but more importantly, it resonated with my wife and my daughter and my sister-in-law. And they thought what better way to honor Trevor than to encourage people to get out and hike or exercise or walk. And Trevor, Trevor's going to be on trail a little bit more than 100 days. But roughly speaking, it was about 100 days. And so my wife, in conjunction with my daughter and my sister-in-law, started on Facebook Trevor's 100-Day Trek. And basically all it is is that we encourage people to get out, and hike a mountain, hike a park, hike the sidewalk in your neighborhood. Enjoy nature, get out and move and put some steps underneath your feet. My wife, she she enjoys getting out and walking, but not for 100 days straight. Last year, she, she got out and she walked at least two miles a day for 100 days straight. And it changed her life because it made her healthier. We probably had about 20 or 30 people who, uh, and we encouraged people to post your photos. So every day people were posting photos. Some of them were in their park. Some of them were on a hiking trail somewhere. Some of them were in their, just walking on their dog on on the sidewalk. And so this year uh, we're going to do it again. It's going to start on March 16th, the Trevor's start date. And we'll go for a hundred days. 
I think this year we're going to try and print T-shirts for anybody who wants to participate. And we would kindly ask anybody who would want a T-shirt to make a donation uh, to the RMRU. Uh, but we want to find a way to somehow try to monetize Trevor's 100-day trek in a, in a way that we could use it to raise funds for either the Fowler O'Sullivan Foundation or for the RMRU or even and the PCTA. Exactly. And it's just, and it's also getting people to just get outside and see nature of how Trevor saw nature and fell in love exactly. with it. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, and it's great that your wife went out and, and did more walking because it helps with just decompressing. Like obviously she has a, a stressful job, you know, she still works in, in healthcare and, um, I do want to get into the safety reminders and that sort of thing. So I'm just curious, obviously, just listening to you talk, I'm just curious if you interested in ever doing a little bit of the PCT? The, the short answer is yes, 100%. My career is a big part of my life right now. It's a big part of my family's life. Mm. So taking six months off to do this is is not in the cards for me now some people say well then doug it just must not be as important you don't have to do the whole thing i mean you could just you could do a little section you know you could go camping in yosemite and that's a great thing yeah in 2020 september of 2020 my family was going to go out to southern california um my high school friend who is the one who alerted me to trevor's accident Mm -hmm. and my father we were going to fly into um, Palm Springs, drive Paradise Valley Cafe, and hike from Paradise Valley Cafe to the accident spot, spot and then finish off um, what Trevor would have done in the Idlewild. Two days before we left, I had been training like a, like a madman. Oh, <laughs> two days before we were supposed to leave, with all the forest fires, the state of California oh, yes. closed down all of the national public trails so we weren't able to go that is still a desire of mine and there's a part of me that says well even if i can't do the whole pct i i want to hike from campo to idlewild it'd probably take me three weeks but but that would be my goal that's what i would like to be able to accomplish oh for sure i didn't even have to answer the question because i kind of knew yeah you you would get out there and in some some form and 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 go a certain distance absolutely you know we should switch over to and talk about the reminders safety reminders and and obviously there's something obviously on the pcta about it and and some of them like i mean i just wrote down some little notes and stuff but and we we've been talking through this podcast a little bit about certain things and i think at the end you know, I do want you to talk a little bit about Apache Peak and, and it's okay to go around, embrace the alternative. And I'm just going to go through some of them in order. Uh, and they're just from the PCTA. And and there was a little article. I think, I think you might have had a little hand in it. The first thing that I'm just going to go in order is, you know, carry an emergency beacon. And, you know, I, I didn't, until I read this, yes, I've gone out and bought a Garmin inReach. In the very beginning of planning this trail, I thought, does Chantel need one? You know, there's two of us. Does she need one? And even after hearing about Trevor, you know, she does. Because if something happens to me and I fall, you know, she needs to push it. You know, it's money well spent. You know, even if I go out and buy a Garmin in reach for both of us, 
I could find somebody to sell them at a discount. I could, I could find someone to sell it to, you know, I'm kind of just renting it, but that's, that's an important thing. And one thing I found out by listening to one of the podcasts that you were talking about is um, Trevor didn't have his on and it was more about saving battery. Cause that's kind of, obviously he had some colder weather. Every young person plays on their phone a little bit. I think my daughter has to learn she can't play on her phone because it's going to be dead. (laughs) <laughs> you know and, and you can only bring so much little battery banks kind of when i heard that like trevor didn't have it on and i get why somebody might want to turn it off to to save the battery but that's something like a you know even if you're hiking as a couple you know if it's if it's boyfriend girlfriend or husband and wife or even just two friends it's it's good that everyone has one i i agree 100,000% you have to have one you you are correct. Trevor was was very concerned that if he had a GPS locator, but it but he didn't have it wasn't charged or it didn't have any battery life, it would be useless. In Trevor's mind, and the way he explained it to me, made perfect sense. You know, if I if I break my ankle, if I dislocate my shoulder, all I have to do is reach over. I have it on my backpack strap. I'll power it on. Hit the, hit the SOS button, and the cavalry comes running. What Trevor didn't think about and what Trevor didn't forecast for is what happens if there's a catastrophic accident in which I'm incapacitated and can't power the device on, can't do the SOS. If you keep the, your device on, it has a geolocator on there that pings a satellite at a set frequency, mm-hmm. whether it's every minute, five minutes 15 minutes 20 minutes 30 minutes whatever interval you set had trevor been alone that day and he would have fallen his geolocator would not have helped because it wasn't turned off had trevor been by himself and he had it turned on we would have been able to find his position because it would have pinged a satellite yeah so have a geolocator gps locator and and keep it turned on and make sure that you have charging capacity. Yeah, and learn and learn the little tips and tricks on how to save your battery on your phone, how yep. to how to keep things charged a little bit better in cold temps. So there's there's those little tips and tricks you can Google to just help keep your electronics, you know, healthy and charged. Yeah. The second thing that was on there was learn how to navigate. It makes sense, you know, read the landscape, the conditions, but also learn where to bail out, where the bailout points are for the Sierra. San Jacinto, Apache Peak. I mean, here, I guess you might as well just talk about a little bit about how, you know, the bailout points. Yeah, I I required that Trevor carry a paper map with him because the paper maps told you all of these bailout points. When we were re- referencing bailout points, I was more concerned about, well, what happens if a forest fire right. crops up 10 miles in front of you? Will you be able to get off trail? The paper maps have those bailout points. The Gut Hook app or the Far Out app that people use now, they, they have some, but not all necessarily. Right. So Trevor carried both, but you have to be able to read the terrain. You have to be able to make a decision. Is that terrain, is fording that river, is that section of trail, is navigating Apache Peak, Fuller Ridge, Mount San Jacinto, is it within my skill set? And if the answer is no, 
there is no shame in saying, I'm not going to put myself at risk. I'm not going to put my life at, at risk. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to find that alternate and I will bypass it and I'll come back around the other side. Uh, somebody that I spoke to today used the phrase, live to fight another day, live to fight another day. And that's what those bailout points will do for you. And it's okay. There's no shame of going around because at the end of the day, you want to make it to the finish line. Hopefully you want to get to Canada. If that's your goal, get up to Canada. You want to be able to get up there. Yep. Um, some people say, well, if you, if you take an alternate, you're not a purist. Well, I'd rather not be a purist and, and have my life. Because uh, because I'll tell you, Dan, if, if you two go and you, you stop at Spitler Peak and you say, we're going to bypass Apache, we're going to bypass that 10, 12-mile section, and we're going to get back on the PCT after Idlewild, I'm not going to, and you make it all the way to Canada, I'm not going to tell you, who am I to tell you not a thru-hiker? Of course you're a thru-hiker. Turn you, it into a you, positive. You know, it, yeah, gives you, did, it gives you a silly excuse that three years later we could go on vacation for a week and go for a little hike when the conditions are perfect. Yep, absolutely. And we could go to Yosemite and, you know, go camping a little bit, go see it again. 100%. Uh, there's, there's another one. Communicate with loved ones. Tell them where you are. And also, you know, use the settings on the Garmin inReach. You can set it up to like ping a certain group mm-hmm. and they just kind of know your location. The, the Garmin inReach Mini Thanks. does allow you to do preset messages. Uh, they give you a certain number. I'm not how many, yeah. sure how many, but, you know, one could be made it to camp all as well. That, that could be one message or stops for lunch or send know, money. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, that's money. Um, <laughs> but you, you can connect it by Bluetooth to your phone, and then you can just type on your phone just as you would like a text and send messages that way too. Yeah, that's true. But I guess the bottom line is tell people where you are. It doesn't matter even if you're doing a day hike where you live. Tell people you're going on a day hike where you live because sometimes something can get silly and you get yep. lost. And exactly. Just, you know, you're in your local woods and you're lost. What else? I mean, hiking, hiking with others is safer. I mean, so true. Yep. Um, but then on the other hand, if you don't feel comfortable with something, you know, don't be shy to like raise your raise raise your voice. Well, and and that's where I tell people that you, the old hiking moniker, hike your own hike. I say it in the context of safety that you know if you if you're hiking with three other people and those three people want to ford that river. But but you're not willing to do it. All right. Well, I'll I'll camp here overnight, and I'll do it at you know, I'll do it at five o'clock tomorrow morning or six o'clock tomorrow exactly. morning when the current is lower. When the current is lower, yeah. But you've got to make decisions, your decisions, that are based on in your best interest and your safety. Whether Absolutely. it's getting into a car for a hitchhike whether it's fording a river or whether it's crossing Apache Peak, you need to make your own safety decisions. You can't let others make that for you. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. I mean, one of them was on there. I mean, research and prepare carefully. PCT changes, you know, due to fire closure. Sometimes the routes change and you don't do your homework to understand maybe the, the workaround route. Maybe it does have some sketchy parts and stuff. Well, in the context that I that I said that in, that 
Apache Peak, that section of the PCT had been closed for the previous, or I think six out of the previous seven years. So when I was doing my research, looking at all these YouTube vloggers who had hiked the PCT, most of them were in the last two or three years. Well, none of them had content with the exception of Second Chance Hiker that I could find that talked about Apache Peak. So it was just not an area that I that I chose to focus much on because nobody was reporting on it. And so I when I tell people, look at different years. Look ten if if you can find it research or information from years ago, five years ago, three years ago, eight years ago, get your information from a wide swath of, of data points to make sure that you that you fully understand the terrain that you're going to be going through. Because you're right, there will be trail closures. Oh yeah, for sure. Sadly, there's a lot of forest fires, which is, that's its own podcast in its own. One of the points too was the, the person, obviously John King, that does the San Jacinto Trail Report, which is just an incredible resource. Obviously, he hikes so much uh, and gives you reports on on the on his website that he manages as well as YouTube but it's such a valuable resource um, and also you mentioned it was mentioned in the PCTA article of share that you know share that when you talk to people you know whether it's you know you're going to meet people at Lake Marina campground you're going to meet people at Mount Laguna and sit around and maybe have a beer with or or a coke Warner Springs Julian all of those places. So it's always good to sort of talk to other people just to even make sure that they have the gear that they need and, and, and that they're ready for it. Yeah. A hundred percent. John King is a hiker hero. Yeah. In my mind, what he does for the, the PCT hiking community is second to none. He is out on those trails seven days a week. He doesn't just give you updates that are days old. He gives you updates that are hours old. He gives you photos. He gives you video mm-hmm. uh, reports because he is out on the mountain every day and he rotates areas on the mountain that he is. So he's constantly in a different place on the mountain, giving PCT hikers updated information. He gives hikers updated information about water sources, about snow conditions, trail conditions, He's talked to people about rattlesnakes. I mean, just about anything that you can think of as it relates to the PCT through San Jacinto, that, that is the man to get the information from, bar none. Hopefully, I wonder if he does spiders, because me and Chantel hate big tarantula-looking <laughs> spiders. Because yeah. don't, we don't have them here in Canada. Hopefully, they're not in Texas either. Oh, yeah, we got plenty of them here. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> I mean, one of the last things before I turn it over to you, if you have any other other things, is that, you know, being an international hiker like me and Chantel are, you know, we don't we we don't have a dedicated trail manager in the States, you know. But one of the one of the really cool things is there's a lot of Facebook groups. You know, there's Facebook groups for different PCT class years. And I think I'm in all of them. There's also little Facebook groups for trail angels, because sometimes people will post in there that oh i'm arriving you know someone get me at the airport or i need a ride or that kind of stuff but being an international hiker also like let's say we have our gear like me and Chantel have our ice axes and we have our 
crampons and and micro spikes you know it's 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 okay for us to maybe reach out in these little communities because maybe somebody will be you know they're not going to be our trail manager they're not going to mail us 20 boxes of food but if we politely ask we need some help can somebody mail us you know we'll we'll land in San Diego we'll mail our ice axes to somebody and then they'll mail it to us for Paradise Cafe maybe we'll hold on to it till we go past Mount Baden Powell then we'll mail it back to that person we're international hikers we're gladly we'll pay them we'll we'll even throw in a couple extra bucks so they can buy themselves lunch because we're just so grateful that if we could find a friend that is willing to like get our ice axe hold on to it we'll text them they send it back send it back for the sierras and that's a great thing so i would love to see other people like don't be shy especially if you're worried and it's about a safety issue i know that people would gladly want to help you out because you're worried and it's about a safety issue and i think people would love that because it's not even money out of their pocket either like there's multiple ways you could do that what you described is certainly one another one would be fly in without micro spikes or without an ice axe when you get to julian purchase them at some of the adventures yeah yeah get at at the gear outfitter there and then you can bounce it ahead to paradise valley cafe True. And then once you get clear about Baden Powell, then you bounce it ahead again. And then, you know, ultimately you may not need it anymore. And then at that point in time, maybe you leave it, leave them in a hiker box for somebody else or, or you just ship them home or whatever the case might be. But, but there are options and there are ways to make it work. And, and what you described is certainly one way to do it. If you go on the Facebook and you say, can someone give me five bucks because I need to get a bigger pizza? Well. <laughs> I'll find anyone that wants to give you five extra bucks. Is there anything like that? I don't, I don't know if we've missed anything really. What's your parting words? Like if you had to kind of just, you know, cause you're talking to the, the people that are going out on the trail this year. So a few things, um, make sure that you have the right safety equipment, but most importantly, know how to use it. If you have an ice axe, but have never, never learned how to use it, never researched it. It's all it is is going to be an accessory on your pack. Uh, never sacrifice safety at the expense of a few ounces. Hmm. Just, just simply, it's it's not a wise decision. Risk mitigation skills in your brain is going to be by far your most valuable resource and tool that you have. Being able to read the trail conditions, be honest with yourself, and make decisions that are in the best interest of you and your safety. There is always another day to fight. There's always an alternate. And I tell people, you know, it's, there's no shame in turning back around. There's no shame in embracing it. Exactly. And, and I mean, that's, that's kind of it in a nutshell. Um, go out, have the time of your life, enjoy the trail, take wonderful photos but just make sure that you come home safe. Yeah, I, I agree. All those points were really good. And it's a big like eye opener because you never think like, oh, the safety. Like you normally don't think that anything could happen to you on the trail. But like it could happen to anyone, no matter how old you are, your physical well-being. It's just crazy. And it really opened up my eyes about how important the safety is. Because I think with you, you're not going to really... I mean, you don't 
I mean, I think about it all the time, but you don't think about it as much. Like, yeah, when we get into like one year away, you don't even want you're never going to answer the phone when I phone you because I'm just <laughs> going to be talking your ear off mm-hmm. about all this stuff. And um, and that's when I think you'll get more serious because I want you to understand the trail and I want you to like have the maps and mm-hmm. not just like follow dad of not you know you don't you're just an autopilot like yeah. oh dad's gonna figure out where we're going and I don't need to know like mm-hmm. I kind of I kind of want you to like show me where we're going right kind of thing so it'll be fun it'll mm-hmm. be fun well just the fact that you guys are having these conversations puts you at the head of the pack um, that's like we started the podcast because I you know she's gonna learn by doing this yes. exactly it that's that's a hundred percent and the fact that you're gonna take that extra day that extra week that extra month to, to think about safety preparation it's it's gonna you know move you to the head of the line so to speak and in, in, in your understanding of safety and what it's going to take to get you home safe mm-hmm. so Absolutely. so kudos to you guys and just just use Trevor's story I, I don't want him to be a martyr I don't know just use his story as a cautionary tale on what it's going to take to keep you guys safe. And if you guys can head back home to Canada after everything's said and done and, and you've had the adventure of a lifetime, you know, just look back and say, yeah, maybe Trevor, you know, had a little something to do with that. Most definitely. Absolutely. You know, one thing before we say goodbye to you, I think I saw in a picture there was like little Microsoft bracelets. Yes. <laughs> I want one. I want to like, I think it would look good on my wrist, but I, I'd love to see if I could bring that thing to Canada. I would absolutely love to do that. So Trevor and his girlfriend, Elise, like to go to music festivals. They're a bit free spirited. And when they would go to music festivals, they would oftentimes wear tie dye t-shirts. And so we got tie dye silicone wristbands that say Trevor Microsoft Lair embrace the alternate or Trevor Microsoft Lair uh, Trek for Trevor. So we sent these as part of our Trevor Spikes program. Everybody who, who purchased um, some Trevor Spikes also got uh, some of these wristbands that they could wear as a way to, to storytell and talk about safety while they're out on trail because somebody will look at it and they'll say, Oh, that's an interesting wristband. What's mm-hmm. that? And then they, and then, then it's, then it becomes a talking point. And I do want to make a donation to the, uh, the Riverside mountain rescue unit. So maybe I can I get would, one if I make it. I would be most grateful. Perfect. Well, it was a pleasure speaking with you. I'm going to put all uh, so much stuff in the trail notes. It's silly, but all the people listening to this in the description, there's going to be a clickable link it goes to a blog. Me and Chantel have a blog because that blog teaches Chantel about the trail and teaches our family and friends. Go check it out. But I really, really appreciate you talking to us. Mm-hmm. So so you guys are going to hike in 2023? Yes, 2023 we were supposed to, but Chantel screwed up. So she told me she was in a three-year program, but she's really in a four-year program. It's going to give us more time to save. So... It also will give me more time to, to stay connected with you and help you in any way that I can in your planning. So I look forward to that. There will be lots more lessons learned that you guys will pick up along the way. I'm, 
I'll, I'll just be excited to follow along on your journey when it happens. All right. Well, thank you so much. Well, best of luck to both, uh, both of you. And uh, like I said, I, I look forward to following along on your journey here moving forward. Thank you. Thank okay. you. All right. Take care. Have a great week ahead then. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Long hair and longer stride. Skateboard affair with the primal child. And you cut off paint to pants. Charging down those craggy mountains With our thrift store friends Who you find so So in love with a fallen earth Who you wake in the middle of the fallen night With the summer playing coy In the attics of the city night You talked Corso in the MC and you could dance like we were all alright And only the wild ones give you something and never want it back All the riot in a rush of the warm night air Only the wild ones are the ones you can never catch Stars are up now to go